The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So we'll continue this conversation on exploring the sense of self, exploring this from the perspective of recognizing our usual perspective on self is a misperception, a confusion, a delusion. Last week I kind of explored more general topic of not self and um, a little bit of a description of that misperception, how we essentially attribute something that is stable or uh, permanent. We, we often have a sense of, of our sense of self as being something that's traveling through time. That's not so much, um, Maybe it changes a little bit, but that there's some kind of stability there. You know, that's, that's kind of our attribution often around a sense of self. And that that is a misperception in a way. It is uh, that we're taking something that is a process. It's a natural uh, unfolding process of body and mind. And we're attributing a stability to it. And in terms of beginning to explore this, to begin to um, get curious about how, what is this misperception or what is this misunderstanding, I used the quote from Zen Master Dogen, to study the way is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. And to forget the self is to be awakened by all things. And so it is uh, in this teaching, he's really pointing to the path unfolds through getting to know really well what we take to be self. What is it that we take to be self? One of the... um, doorways into this potentially is to study what are our identities, different ways that we identify different kind of senses we have of ourselves. I think we all understand or recognize that we have these identities, some of them around roles, around being a a partner or a child or a sibling or a co-worker. We we can have identities around roles. We can have identities around emotions. Um, One of the questions that came up last week when we, I asked at the end, what kind of questions um, do you have around this topic? And, One of them was around kind of essentially the identity around self-judgment, this this kind of thing, Um, uh, a sense of of judging ourselves. There's a sense of self there that's a a kind of an identity around 
stepping back and looking at who am I and and I should I be this way? Should I not be this way? So there's a there's a kind of an identity there. Um, so that's you know, and that that can happen around um, um, different emotions. So I, for instance, had a a strong identity as a miserable person um, for much of my life. That's who I took myself to be. And uh, it was such a strong identity that when I um, was happy, because I wasn't always miserable, uh, but the identity was so strong that uh, the mind kind of, when it was happy, it was like, well, yeah, I'm happy now, but I know what I really am is miserable. So it was, it, it was attributing, I mean, it was attributing a permanence to the kind of a permanence to the miserableness, even though I could see it wasn't always there. The mind just dragged it through the, the experience, bringing it right into the happiness. This isn't, this isn't reliable. Happiness isn't reliable. That's what I, not, I, what I'm, not what I am. But I wasn't noticing that the miserableness was also unreliable. <laughs> the miserableness also came and went. For some reason, my mind had latched onto that. So different ways, you know, that we identify around emotions, around roles. Um, somebody asked the question too around um, identifying or exploring a sense of self-connected with interests and pre- preferences. So we may create an identity of ourselves, for instance, like I was a dancer, right? I was a dancer for a long time. I I was very active as a young um a young child, I started dancing at a young age, age five, and and uh, and then I started ice skating, and I was an ice skater, and I was a skier, and um, you know I had these identities around things I liked to do, um, and you know the, the the one of being a dancer uh, that was probably the strongest one um, after um, after I went through the ice skating and the skiing, I kind of came back to dancing and and began to explore possibly doing that a little bit more as a profession um, when I was in my late teens and early twenties. Um, and uh, I was, I, I had some talent. Um, my body was not very well set up for it. And I ended up with problems with my ankles and problems with my knees. And, um, and at some point I kind of realized I can't do this. I'm not a dancer. There was so much pain around the loss of that identity um, because there had been the sense of that's me. And when it became clear it wasn't me, you know, that, uh, that was very painful. Um, so there's the loss, you know, there's the loss of, of not able to do something, but then there was the loss of the identity. You know, I had kind of envisioned myself as being something that I could not be. And there was, there was pain around that. There was, there was a lot of grief. It took, it took a long time to, um, to kind of process that, that grief around not being able to, um, to be a dancer. And actually, I'll, I'll just say another piece about that because um, I didn't really fully process that grief until I started practicing, you know, years, years later. Um, and what I saw as I started to practice 
was that the identity around being um, a dancer was very connected with, that was the main place I experienced joy in my life was when I was dancing. And that being taken away was the main part of the sorrow that I couldn't do that, have that kind of joy anymore. I felt so bereft. I felt like, you know, that's gone forever. Because that was the that was the main way that I really experienced joy. Um, and when I started meditating and started practicing, um, I began to see there's a kind of a joy in the practice that was beginning to, to develop and grow. And it's like, oh, this, this is what I missed about being a dancer. It wasn't that I couldn't be the dancer. It was because I lost the capacity, I lost the way to, to find joy in my life. And so the practice began to show me there were other ways, you know? So again, there's just a lot that we can see around um, how we identify, uh, you know, I don't think I really understood when I was identified as being a dancer. You know, I thought it was the dancer, the being the dancer that was the real um, thing. And it was more about the kind of the expression of delight and joy um, that, uh, that I didn't really understand that, 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 that can have many, many manifestations. That can manifest when I'm eating a peach, you know, it's like, it's amazing how much, how much opportunity there is for that. Um, so um, just to talk a little bit today about identities, exploring identities, different ways into, um, to look at that. One of the things um, so yeah, all of these different ways, the roles that we have, um, those are often where identities come in or emotions or these things that we like, preferences, things that we appreciate doing. These are all ways that, that the sense of self comes in. Um, another um, way that a sense of self can come in as, is as kind of strategies for dealing with difficulty. Um, you know, what ways that we've learned to navigate stress. Identities can develop around those and those can be some pretty strong ones because, um, you know, the things that we do, the, it's like we, we make choices, right? We make some choices around how do we navigate difficulty. And uh, those choices, um, begin to we, we begin to kind of revert back to them. We make similar choices, and those begin to be oh, this is this is reliable. We attribute a kind of a reliability to certain strategies for how to navigate difficulty. It might be strategies about for myself. I think anger was a big a big one of those. You know, it's like when there's something um, difficult in the world, anger is my way of navigating it. You know that that. Uh, um, there was a, there's a kind of with anger, there can be a kind of a sense of, of power, of control, there's energy, there's, so those things, you know, felt like they were serving my experience. And so there's different ways. So there's another, another thing to explore in terms of identity. So what is it that we take to be self? Now, this will be changing 
it changes pretty quickly during, through the day, actually. Uh, the different, like when I'm talking to my mom on the phone, I'm kind of the daughter. And, and when I'm like, you know, talking to my friend, I'm the friend. And when I go out for a walk, I'm just going out for a walk and I'm being mindful, you know, so there's, there's potentially, we, we also create identities around being meditators, right? This is something we touched into a little bit last week. Um, so, you know, we'll create identities around anything. Some of those identities serve us, um, support us, and some of those identities um, actually get in our way and are, are, are not so helpful for us. And yet we, we tend to um, uh, you know, we tend to, to give a little more um, weight or credence somehow to the identity. Um, it's just a process. It's just a process unfolding. It doesn't need to be identified with, and yet there's such a habit. There's a habit of identifying with it, and there's a habit of, you know, what's funny too is that we have all these different identities, and somehow we think we're oneself. And it's like our mind somehow manages to put together all of those different identities and, and somehow think that's me. But, but we don't really see the different flavors. So this is one way in to begin to, to kind of um, burst that bubble around a solidity around the sense of self is to start to see the, the different qualities the different experience that's present with these various identities. So kind of a curiosity about that. Um, you know, this doesn't have to be, um, this can be a kind of a, an investigation or a curiosity through your, through your life. And at times for me, it has gotten stronger, particular, um, you know, times on retreat, for instance, where I'm noticing, oh, wow, this is the self I'm identifying with right now a particular thought around um, something that happened in the meditation hall and my analysis and thinking about it, just being that analyzer, you know, that kind of person who knows what's right and this is the way it should be. And so kind of that, that kind of identity. And then a little bit later, seeing a completely different identity, you know, identifying with being the student, being the one who has to go in and make a report you know, to my teacher and, um, or, you know, being the, the observer, being the person who's looking at other people uh, and, and starting to see the, the different experience that's there. So as we're just kind of available to, to, to recognize what's happening around these different identities, you know, what does this sense of self feel like? Um, we start to see that like there are they're not even related often. The things that are coming up around um, being a, an analyzer and the things that are coming up around being a daughter, like really different. And, and as we start to observe and, and get familiar with these senses of self, we, we see that there's not much connection necessarily between them. We can sometimes see, I think I talked about last week, the the real strong shift I had around 
um, at a retreat, seeing a, a strong identification around being the analyzer, the one who's right, you know, kind of going over something that had happened in the hall in the morning, a kind of a, I was having an argument in my mind with the person who'd asked the question. And uh, I didn't feel like, you know, they were looking at things in a good way, or they shouldn't have asked that question. I don't remember something along those lines, but I was having an argument in my mind with that person and I was right. You know, so there was a strong sense of self, self-righteousness, you know, and that's actually a good time to be observing the identities when they come up strongly, when it's like, yeah, this feels like, this feels like a sense of me. And so I was seeing that, I was observing that. And, you know, while that was happening, I was doing walking meditation outside and this truck drove up and the sound of the truck was loud and it kind of broke into that thought and the mind shifted to the, to the, you know, the, the sound and the, the mind shifted to a, a, a just a, like a two-year-old's delight in the experience of a loud, noisy, banging truck. And the shift was so sudden and so startling. It's like that, that analytical, argumentative me that had been so sticky. And, and I thought, oh, I really have to get in there and look at this and like figure it out and pull it apart. I was like, it was gone in an instant. There was no trace of it. And there was just this like, two-year-old delighted and like, wow, that's a bangy, loud, noisy truck. Isn't that amazing? And, you know, and, and it was startling enough that, that it really helped me to see these senses of self had nothing to do with each other. There had been a strong sense of having been stuck to this thing and poof, in an instant, it was gone, replaced by something else, by conditions. Conditions happened and intervened and a whole new self was, was born. So that kind of investigation, that kind of interest around the sense of self begins to poke holes in the belief, you know, the belief of its stability, of its solidity. And that's, I think that's a, a key um, to the investigation where, where Dogen says, to study the way is to study the self. You know, as you start studying the self, you see it is not what you thought it was. Let's see. Um, there's so many um, things to point to here. Um, maybe I'll just name a few things about times the sense of self feels really clear. Um, I'll also I'll point to um, in our practice we're often looking at where we're struggling. Right? Often that's what's arising when we're practicing. Um, if, we're, if we're struggling of su in some way, the suffering, the, the anger, the confusion, the disturbance of that, um, it may be that that's what's clear. And, you know, you might not, I mean, you could ask the question, what's the sense of self here? You could, you could explore that. But sometimes what's more apparent is the suffering. And if that's what's apparent, you know, just noticing that because they're connected. There's a sense of self in there when they're suffering, but it may not be so obvious. And so if you're, if you're not 
like seeing it, 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 sometimes we can try to use that as a strategy. You know, it's like we try to use it to, to, to bypass the suffering. It's like, oh, there's this, all the suffering. If I can find the sense of self and pop the sense of self, then it'll all go away. And, um, and so we can almost use it as a bypassing to try to look for something that's not obvious. So, you know, just, just more orient to what's clear what's obvious. And if suffering is what's obvious, just be with that. You're actually observing the same process. The same process that creates suffering is the same process that we, that, that creates identity and there's identity in there. So if you're just noticing the suffering, you'll start to understand something about your experience. You don't have to explicitly look for the sense of self there. But there are certain times or certain experiences where the sense of self feels really clear. Um, some of those are um, things like self-judgment or um, self-righteousness or certain, um, certain um, negative emotions about ourselves, self-hatred, unworthiness, shame. Those, uh, those kinds of emotions often come with a very strong sense of I am a bad person or I am unworthy. So the I am feeling can be quite strong in, in certain of those. Um, often the, the familiar emotions, we, we can have strong identity around ones that come back a lot. So that miserableness, you know, that miserableness that I had, it's like there was a strong identity around miserableness, not so strong of an identity around happiness. So that, you know, so that, the, the, the familiar ones, the ones that we have reinforced or the ones that um, the patterns of our lives have reinforced. It doesn't have to actually be us that's reinforced them. It's, it's the patterns of our lives have reinforced. Those at times when the sense of self is clear, that's a good time to be curious about what is this sense of self? How does it feel? What beliefs are there? So what beliefs are there? Um, um, like with the, you know, the miserable me, it's like the part of the belief was in the identity. You know, the belief was I am the miserable person. Part of the belief was things never go the way I want them to. Um, you know, things like that. So, you know, just kind of being curious about what's, What's the belief in there? You know, the beliefs often are stated in very stark language, like things never go the way I want them to. It's like, really? No. You know, it's like, just a quick look at that. I'm never happy. Right. A quick look at that shows it's not true. But the belief is potent. And the belief is, is kind of attached to. So, Curiosity about the beliefs can begin to, um, again, help to poke holes in the ideas we have about the solidity of self. There's other forms of identities, too, that are maybe... Well, actually, I'm going to step back to uh, the self-judgment because there was a particular question about self-judgment. That's one of those really um, um, a place where the identity can feel strong. That I'm 
I'm not doing things well, or I'm always X or Y, you know, again, it has kind of stark language. Judgment can have kind of stark language to it with, with absolutes, you know, that the language of the, of self-judgment has that kind of um, quality often, maybe not always, but um, self-judgment can also be very specific in a particular situation. Um, I think self-judgment is, is interesting to look at along with something like self-hatred and self-negativity, flavors of self-negativity. The sense of self there is, um, you know, I talked, I talked a few weeks ago around um, the level of conditioning around our personal conditioning how we've been raised, what our cultures say um, about who we are, you know, the, 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 the experiences that we've had have shaped us, shaped our views, shaped our beliefs. And I think self-judgment is really connected with that level of, 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 of shaping. You know, the, 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 the views and beliefs that are shaped by our culture, by our families, those are often the ground out of which we judge ourselves. So, so we, we um, have an idea about what, I don't know, what, what I should be able to do or shouldn't be able to do based on what I've been told or um, what we've seen in our lives. Um, you know, when I was a kid, uh, I had very um, gender conditioned ideas about the kind of roles, you know, I got the, the nurse uh, toys and my brother got the doctor toys, you know, those kinds of things were, were deeply conditioned. Um, um, so, so the, um, you know, the judgment that we have may be based in, views and ideas and beliefs that were given to us. So this is an interesting place to explore in terms of self-judgment. You know, it's like, where did these, what is, what is, the judgment is based on some belief. So what is the belief and maybe a curiosity about where that belief came from? That might be an interesting exploration around self-judgment. One time, um, not one time, but something I noticed in my own experience is sometimes these identities that we have can have, um, we can have kind of contrasting identities. Um, identities that, you know, when we're in them, um, They've got quite a sense of this is who I am, but but when we start to see the different identities, we see that they're just they're com they're like they're complete opposites. So, for instance, for myself, it's probably easier to explain this with an example. Um, I had the identity of being um, good at things, 
often because I was pretty good at school. I could, you know, do, I was a pretty good dancer, you know, so I could do things when I put my mind to it. So I had that um, kind of identi identity about myself, you know, it's like, I'm good at things. Um, I can get things done. Um, so that was, that was an identity that I, I, tr I carried with me um, for, you know, quite a, quite a lot of time, quite a lot of years. That was a pretty strong identity. The self-hatred identity um, was kind of its opposite in a way. The self-hatred identity actually manifested with thoughts like you're a failure, you're no good, you can't do anything right. Those were the kinds of thoughts that were present in the self-hatred identity. The self-hatred identity was deeply buried. I wasn't even aware of it. The miserableness started coming up, you know, the, the miserableness was around, but, but um, the, the self-hatred, the actual like hearing the thoughts, you're no good, you're a failure, you know, that, that this is what my mind was telling itself, that was very deeply subconscious. I did not notice or know that was present until well into my 30s when I started meditating and began to see these thoughts. So the, the, the mind kind of picked up this, I'm a good person. I'm like, you know, carrying this. I can do things. I'm good at things. But underneath, you know, there was this, this, uh, this self-hatred and you're, you're a failure kind of identity. And when I saw that self-hatred identity, it's like, you know, that felt pretty bad. That was pretty painful. Some of our identities feel good. Some of our identities don't feel good. And this was one of those really, really painful identities. Um, the identity that I can do things, you know, I know how to get things done. That one felt good. You know, that's where I felt like I was in control. That's where I felt like I was in charge. That's what I thought I was supposed to feel like. That's what I thought being uh, a person was about. Having that identity, that sense of being in charge and in control. And, um, you know, life intervenes, right? You know, uh, um, I began to see, you know, when I first saw the, when I first saw the uh, self-hatred identity, I thought, that's a bad identity. You know, that's an identity that I don't want to have. And basically I need to like, that's the one that needs to go. This is, this is the identity. This has to go, you know, this, I've got to figure this one out. It's got to, I've got to understand it so that it'll go away. Um, and at some point I began to understand that these two identities were completely intertwined. The, uh, the sense of being someone in control, having a sense that I could do things and accomplish things. Life intervenes and, you know, you can't always be in control. You can't always do what you want to do. It doesn't always work out. And, you know, that's, that's often where the mind would go into this other identity. So the, I began to see through seeing these dueling identities and, and they would sometimes come up like, like immediately one after another as I was meditating, I would see, you know, I'd take a step and it'd be like, 
wow, I can't feel anything. I'm not, wow, I'm failing. I don't know how to be present for this. And then the next moment I take a step and there it is. So, oh, I'm a good meditator. <laughs> and it would be like this, just like the good meditator. And then the, the next few moments later, it was hard to be mindful again. And oh, I'm failing. I, I can't do this. I don't know how to do this. And I would just see this contrast. And at some point I began to recognize that the, the sense that I could do it, that was the setup. Now, that was a setup in the mind, that identity, that kind of holding to that. I did not want to let go of that identity of being the one who could do things. It's like, that's what I thought I was supposed to have in my life, you know, but not seeing that the uncontrollable, unreliable nature of experience just, you know, yeah, you can't always have things be the way you want them to be. You can't always control things. But for me, it was a personal failing when that happened. And so that would flip me into the self-hatred identity. And so I began to see this. And I began to understand that, no, you, you don't just like get rid of that identity. You have to understand the whole pattern. And it was scary, actually, to, to think about or to explore the possibility of, I had to actually look at the sense of self that felt like I'm good. I had to actually observe that and see that and begin to see the kind of, you know, tenuousness of that or the fear that came with that about it not being possible to always be that way. That was kind of scary to observe that. So sometimes identities come kind of paired and seemingly opposite identities may be completely reliant on each other. We think we, you know, we want to get rid of the one that doesn't feel so good and keep the one that feels good. But they're both an illusion, you know, the sense of having that or having that solidity or stability of that. They're both an illusion. So that's what we that's what we begin to understand. Somebody asked the question, are we trying to achieve not self? And it's, uh, it's not quite a way to put it in a way. It's more that we're trying to understand that what we think is self is not what we think it is. You know, not self is, is the nature of our experience. It's not that not self starts to happen at some point and we see it. It's the nature of our minds. It's, it's a misunderstanding of what's happening, of what's already happening. It's a mis the sense of self is a misunderstanding of that. And so it's the, the kind of the turning of the mind to seeing the misunderstanding. And you could say that's a kind of a, an aim of the practice to see how we are misunderstanding our experience. The feeling that happens, somebody asked, uh, you know, are we trying to achieve not self and how does, how does not self feel? Um, you know, there's probably a lot of different ways it feels, but one of the kind of familiar feelings uh, connected with it, for me at least, when there is the letting go of the identification, it's a sense of relief. 
sense of relief. It's like, wow, that was a heavy burden. That was picking something up and trying to make things happen and go and work. And wow, that's a relief to let go of that. So in terms of studying identities, I mean, kind of my, my story around looking at the, the self-hatred self, you know, the like, oh, that one's got to go, you know, that one, that one is bad. You know, that's bringing um, kind of habitual um, attitudes and views like, around unpleasantness, right? The sense of hatred, self-hatred is unpleasant and we have aversion to what's unpleasant often. And so I had aversion to that identity. I was looking at it or trying to look at it in, in a way to make it go away. That was the original kind of perspective. What really supports us is, is that, again, what Dogen said, study the self. I've started to you know, use the word honoring identities. You know, it's like, these are what's happening. This is our conditioning. This is what has been uh, shaped by our lives. Honoring it, to me, the study of it is an honoring of it. Honoring it, like, this is what's here. What can I learn? You know, maybe we learn something about um, some of our strategies. Again, many of our senses of self are strategies for navigating, trying to be happy, trying to be safe, trying to be healthy. You know, just the, the strategies for trying to um, connect with that deep wish to be happy, healthy, and safe. And they get a little confused but they're trying, you know, they're trying to help us. And so rather than hating them, honoring them with some attention and, you know, attention is actually a beautiful gift that we can offer to ourselves, to others. When we honor our identities with attention, it's not necessarily, it's not reinforcing them. It's, um, Having that, again, that curiosity, what, what is this sense of identity? How does it work? And what does it think it's doing for me? You know, the, the, those kinds of questions. It's a human experience. Studying them, honoring them, respecting them, looking at them helps the mind to understand their nature Helps us to, I mean, also we, we tend to think, I think that like the, the whole of the identity is kind of like bad that we have to like, like with that self-hatred one, for instance, I felt like I've, I've got to like get the scalpel and like cut that whole thing out. You know, it's like that whole thing has got to go. But the way they're put together, as I just mentioned, kind of is often there are these threads of, you know, wanting to be happy and healthy and safe, even that miserable identity was connected to wanting to be happy in some fashion, you know, it was just really confused about it. And so the, those threads of, of um, wanting to be safe and happy and healthy are kind of running up against the, the nature of our lives, the nature of reality as impermanent, unreliable, uncontrollable, and that's often where the, the suffering is born. Sometimes I use this, this analogy, the threads of, of the, 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 the meta, the, the wish for happiness and 
safety for ourselves or others, you know, those are wholesome wishes. And those threads of wishes kind of meet up against the threads of impermanent, unreliable, uncontrollable, and boy, is there a tangle right there. Because we kind of think if I, um, if I want to be happy or healthy and safe, and it's not possible to have things in my control or reliable or stable, then I shouldn't have those wishes. Those wishes are invalid. We might tell ourselves those wishes are invalid. And that's, you know, part of where some of this tangle happens. The tangle happens between these wishes of meta for ourselves and the truths of impermanent, unreliable. And our minds kind of feel like these two aren't compatible. There's a tangle there. They're bad. You know, it's bad that there's this tangle. And, and I need to like cut that tangle out. But that tangle is composed of those threads of love and happiness and wishing for happiness for ourselves and these truths. And so the exploration of identities is kind of beginning to see that those identities are tangled up these threads, tangled up the threads of wanting to be happy and healthy and safe and these threads of, yeah, it's unreliable and controllable. And as we honor the identity and begin to see those threads, the, it's like the mindfulness and the observation of it is this, is this bath in which those threads can untangle so that the knot goes away, the tangle goes away. That identity is the, is the tangle, the knot, the knot there. But then there's a kind of the, the, uh, the mindfulness can begin to untangle the tangle. And there's nothing different about the threads except that they're no longer tangled. Those threads of love for ourselves, kindness, compassion, care for ourselves, and the thread of understanding of wisdom, they don't have to be tangled up. You know, it's just our views and ideas and beliefs that they're incompatible. It's a, it's a stretching of our minds to recognize that they can be compatible. And the observation, the kind of the curiosity, those tangles are often expressed in these strong identities. It's also expressed in dukkha. You know, the same pattern happens with dukkha. Same kind of tangle happens around suffering. And so when we're exploring suffering, exploring identities, we have the opportunity to, to kind of begin to get familiar with these threads. The wish for the, 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 the wish for ourselves to be happy and healthy and safe. It's a valid wish. It's a beautiful wish. It doesn't necessarily come true in our time or in our, uh, in our, you know, way of living, but it's not an invalid wish. And the truths we begin to really open to, yeah, it's not my fault that it's impermanent, un unreliable and uncontrollable. That's the nature of experience. And that, that kind of sitting in the bath of the mindfulness begins to untangle those tangles. We see those identities as tangles, but nothing is different in the composition there. It's all the same threads. It's just tangled and knotted and stuck when it's in the identity or in the suffering. 